Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And today we have on two projects that have been here before, and we're going to get an update on both of them. We have Zilliqa. My name is Edison. I, I lead application development at Zilliqa. And streamer. Henry Picala. Thanks for having me back. As well as the head of communications from streamer, who has a very interesting background, Mr. Shiv Malik. Clearly, it is. I come from a journalistic background. So I was an investigative journalist for The Guardian, specializing in, oh, no shit. in, yeah, in terrorism and economics. We're going to dig into those conversations very soon. But before we get into that, if you're going to be in New York, make sure to check out the Ethereal Summit. And if you're going to check out the Ethereal Summit, get 20% off by using our promo code in the show notes. Also, DevZilla in San Diego, a developers conference in June with a keynote speakers such as Nick Zabo. If you want to check that out, promo code in the description as well. Wherever you listen to this podcast, please smash that subscribe button, leave us a comment and a rating. It helps us stay visible. Crypto 101 is writing its second book, Crypto Revolution, to lead the charge, to get people onboarded into cryptocurrency. If you want that free book, Please go to Crypto101Podcast.com, enter in your email to be notified when that is released, and we will send you a copy. While you're at Crypto101Podcast.com, make sure to subscribe to our social medias, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, to keep up with what's going on with Crypto101, the shows that are released. I want to say thank you to the patrons. Patrons, thank you for supporting the show, and keep looking at Patreon for early releases and special items just for you. And just a reminder, this is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, and definitely not personal advice. Now, without further ado, we're going to start with Zilliqa. We will see you after the show. Edison Lim, application lead at Zilliqa. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Hi, how are you? I'm good, man. Excellent. So I have had, since you on the show twice already, I not only support Zilliqa, I think it's everybody that listens to Crypto 101 know that I hold lots of Zilliqa bags right now. Um, you're good. Not Thank good. you. Thank <laughs> you for your faith in the project. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I own, I have the Zilliqa bags right now and it's a project that I really like to see uh, what's happening on it because there's a lot of anticipation for Zilliqa. Sharding is a big word, you know, it's a yes, big definitely. word with a big application and a big potential for the blockchain. And you guys just went live on your mainnet. So first, tell me about yourself, a little bit about where you came from, a little bit about your background, and then we got to talk about the, the mainnet and it going live. Sure, sure, sure. Thanks. My name is Edison. I, I lead application development at Zilliqa. My, my journey actually, my journey in blockchain development started from my grad school. So back then, I, I think that was around 2016, and I got interested into Ethereum. I started writing smart contracts on Ethereum and uh, really getting into the whole this, uh, all, all these like, blockchain uh, things that, that's going on. But I really did not think that I would get so serious about blockchain development until my, my thesis, when I work on the permission blockchain with Hyperledger Fabric. So ultimately, after, the, after my thesis, after I graduated, I joined Zelika as the first application developer. And it has been, it has been uh, eight months since I joined. And yeah, I'm happy to be here and to do applications for Zelika. Right on, man. So. Yeah. Let me know about the mainnet. Mainnet is launched. Are you sharding? Yes, we are sharding. And what is sharding? Real quick, a one-on-one on sharding. Sharding is about breaking the network into a few portions so that you can process transactions in parallel. Okay. So the advantage is that when you do this, you can achieve a higher transactions per second than a network that does not shard. Okay, so how many yep. transactions per second is Zilliqa doing right now? So the, 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 the previous stress testing that we did, we achieved around 2,400. So that was uh, way before the mainnet. 
Um, so uh, right now the, uh, the, the key focus for our, our mainnet is on stability and uh, we, we, are, we are just trying to get that right for the mainnet because of the we need to ensure people are joining the latency issue so we haven't done stress testing since then. Okay, excellent. Yep. So you are at 2,400 transactions per second with the stress test now. Where do you want to see Zilliqa at? To me, I think that the uh, the, the TPS is, uh, is is secondary because as as we go on, we see that there needs to be stability. There needs to be a better developer experience. So this is where Zilliqa is going to prioritize our features in. Mm -hmm. We want to build the best features for application developers to build interesting D apps. Mm -hmm. So the the focus of the team will be focused towards building that ecosystem right now. Okay. Okay. What do you plan to accomplish with a higher TPS? People who are going to develop on Zilliqa, how would they be able to use Zilliqa in ways that they couldn't use, say, Ethereum or, or EOS? Okay, so to, to some people, they think that, okay, um, I mean, that the, the whole idea is that uh, of higher transition per second is that there's a throughput limit on Ethereum, which is currently around 10 to 15, mm -hmm. which is pretty low when you consider that the Visa will require much more transitions per second. So we also see the proliferation of level two solutions. And the idea is to, is to scale the blockchain beyond its base capabilities. Mm -hmm. So uh, on that regard, what I think is that transition per second is important. But what is really truly amazing about Zedeka is how we actually manage to keep transaction costs low. Right. So, in, even, so now with the mainnet, if you, if you can send a transaction on the mainnet, it will cost you around 200 times cheaper than Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of, and that unlocks a whole lot of like, possibilities. Uh, you can build things that uh, you can have like blockchain for gaming and uh, as you know like gaming is like very pretty low value like because like if you buy an item it's around five dollars ten dollars mm -hmm. it's fairly low value and you won't want a transaction cost about 10 cents 20 cents mm -hmm. you want it to be way less than that so in Zilliqa's case we can keep the transaction cost low and i think that this is going to bring a whole new generation of applications a lot of people in the space a lot yeah. of a lot of people are building in the space and they say tps is bullshit. They say that no matter what you do with the blockchain, you will never be able to get a throughput as fast as say Visa or MasterCard or some of like the computers that are processing information. For example, if, if you say 1111 on uh, in China, yeah, you have uh, a singles day and you have singles day Taobao, right? You can never do that on the blockchain. You never could achieve the, the speed that is needed for some of these big enterprises on the blockchain. Do you think that is true? And if you think that it is true or false, what do you think the actual applications are for even higher TPS if they can't compete with Visa, MasterCard, or some of these mainframes that are processing Taobao transactions or Alibaba transactions? Okay, that's a, that's a very long question. So um, let me just try to begin with the, uh, with the part about whether I believe the TPS is an is a evergreen game. But for me, I think that it, there's a limit on how fast we can scale a blockchain. And uh, what we are trying to do with blockchain is that you are trying to get decentralization together with high transitions per second. And if you are going to achieve a very high, say, 1 million TPS, 2 million TPS, then that's not a deep blockchain, that's a centralized server. And, mm. and blockchain is never able to, to do it. I think that's, a, that's going to be an upper bound on how much blockchain is going to, to achieve. I am uh, very excited to be in Zilliqa where we are actually trying to find out what's that boundary between like how we can keep decentralization and yet achieve a high throughput. Mm -hmm. And uh, being in a team, you also see that 
when you allow like a high transaction per second, you, it results in like system stability issues mm-hmm. where your, your nodes get dropped out and um, there's always a delicate balance about how much you can achieve with the decentralization that you mm-hmm. run the whole. So yeah, I, I think that it's, it's very pointless to keep comparing with a TPS game, going to 1 million, 2 million. Mm-hmm. To me, I think that if th- even with thousands of transactions per second, it is doable. Like You, you can do it on Zedeka, you can build amazing apps for a fraction of the cost of, on, uh, on other chains. Mm-hmm. So this is where I see the industry going, is that we cannot keep pushing about the numbers. We have to think about real applications that are being built. And I think your, your second question was to address... Uh, My second question is, then what kind of applications will we be able to develop? If we aren't going to make payment systems that are as fast as like Visa or MasterCard, if we're not going to create uh, online purchasing is, is able to handle the demand of say a singles day in China, which is millions of transactions per second and billions of dollars, what applications are going to be useful on a high throughput blockchain? In my view, it's going to be applications that uh, are not time sensitive. So uh, let me just explain like, what is time sensitive things. So mm-hmm. payments is a very good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you make a payment, you want it immediately. Right. Like you scan with Apple Pay, you want it to be accepted immediately. On the blockchain system, the best that we can do is around one, one to two minutes on Zilliqa. On Ethereum, if you consider like a transaction block of 10 seconds and 15 confirmations to be confirmed, that's going to be like nearly three minutes. So there's no way that we can actually reach like a fast confirmation. You will need a layer two solution for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is where many amazing projects are being built. And uh, this is where you see the up and coming space of payment China. Mm-hmm. So I think this is still going to be on the blockchain, but it requires a complementary level two solution to be built on top mm-hmm. of that. And I, I also see the potential that we are going to see a whole new rise of like security tokens where we can actually hold securities in uh, different companies, we can hold equities, and I think this is where it's going to be pretty exciting. Right on, right yeah. on. So you, you, you told me about what is time-sensitive applications. What are applications that are not time-sensitive? Alright, so uh, like one of the projects that we are doing with Mindshare, so this is our flagship application. Mindshare. Yes. Okay. It is a global media agency and it's one of the largest in terms of billings every year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a project with them and it's called Project Proton. Mm-hmm. And what it aims to do is to radically transform the advertising industry by making reconciliations more efficient. Mm-hmm. And this reconciliation is actually improved from the current months of reconciliation cycles to the current one day that we are experimenting as we speak. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is where we, we don't see, uh, we, we, this is an example of a non-time-sensitive uh, application. Like, you, you don't require these payments to be reconciled within like seconds precision. Because we are only doing it once a day, the, the longest you can drag is like 20, 23, hour, 23 hours and 30 seconds, mm-hmm. uh, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, that's, that's basically the upper bound, and uh, I mean, when we consider the window of uh, tolerance. So I think that this kind of, uh, of applications that happened uh, relatively like on a daily basis or a weekly basis is alright. Things like buying a shares or like reconciling accounts, it's, it's okay to have like two or three minutes latency between confirmation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we juxtapose this with the internet? There are many layer two solutions to the internet and to uh, like that have been developed throughout time. Everybody says that this is the internet of 1993. Can you take it back to 1993, 1994, or, or the early 2000s and tell us how the internet has grown and how you see the blockchain space growing parallel to how the internet has grown? Sure, sure. From, from what I can understand about internet is that uh, it started from a research lab. I think it was a research lab of military, but basically it's for a scientific purpose. And they gradually grow the network to host applications. So we see the period from 1990, 19, in the 1990s to early 2000s is the period that 
we are trying to improve the time, we're trying to lower the time that it takes to load the page. Mm -hmm. So there have been many issues in terms of how front-end uh, web is being rendered. And there's many things that, that go into that, like yeah, the internet content speed. content delivery the... network, CDNs. Right. It helps you deliver things in a faster pace. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can think of like, when we look into the existing infrastructure, the CDN, which is the content delivery network, it, it is like basically optimized based on your location. Mm -hmm. Like for example, we are in Denver right now, so we have a, if we browse a page, it's going to be cached in a CDN, which is, which is near the uh, North America. Mm -hmm. So this is where things get delivered to us faster. So even a page from China can be delivered to us like much faster mm -hmm. because of this network. Okay. So this is what maybe it's, like, it's a very high level abstraction of a similar equivalent in the internet. This CDN, which radically increased the speed um, that we, we are able to download information, that we are able to consume information, it led to the proliferation of like uh, behavior such as social media mm. or video streaming mm -hmm. that was previously unthinkable in 1990s. Right. So I think that we are in the early stage of blockchain development. Uh, layer two solutions are still going to be here to stay. Mm. Uh, I see them as being uh, most irreplaceable in terms of uh, payments. You definitely need a layer two solution to right. do that. Interesting, interesting. So you do see a very big similarity, parallel. a yes. parallel between the growth of the internet to the growth of blockchain technology. Yes. Interesting. A lot of people say no. I, I say no. I say that from a technical point of view, but then I, I'm looking at it from a social point of view. Sure. Uh, because we didn't know, under, we didn't understand the way that the internet would change lives, would change our lives, how it would be connected to each other, totally different than we were 20 years ago, Got it. right now. And we were not able to imagine that. We were not able to imagine that, well shit, I talked to your PR agency that was in Australia at the time, that coordinated with you in Singapore that we met in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did that even happen? And it happened right. overnight, you know? We didn't know that this kind of connection could even exist. What kind of connections do you think blockchain technology will have in the next 20 years? If you were gonna predict the future of something that we could never predict and, and imagine, how would you imagine it though? Yeah, something I feel very excited about is uh, the, the idea about peer-to-peer -peer lending. I think this is from, from a personal standpoint, I think that right now, let's say if I have a stash of money, where can I put it? Other than cryptocurrency, of course. You can put it in a bank or you can put it like in a fund with relatively low return rate. But what if like, I could tell you that you can actually lend it to someone who is able to pay you a much higher interest mm -hmm. uh, to do it? And I think this is something that's going to be radical and transformational. Mm -hmm. And maybe 20 years from now, we will be lending from someone. Let's say if I want to lend money, I can lend it to someone from South America, whom I have never met before. But because of the decentralized web, we have an ecosystem that we somehow could trust each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, we somehow could use smart contracts to automate how he is going to pay me back. Mm -hmm. Everything is about this ambiguity. Mm -hmm. If he actually get a paycheck in, on a blockchain, he mm -hmm. can, the smart contract will automatically send the payment back to me. So I think this is where I see things coming. I think it's pretty exciting. Hmm. I'm very excited about the potential of the decentralized web. Yeah. That's, that's interesting, man. That's interesting. I mean, I, I cannot imagine myself lending money to someone from South America right now, but oh. <laughs> maybe that could change 10 years to 20 years. Yeah, because I live in Singapore. It's a 30 hours flight to South America. Right. <laughs> it is unimaginable. Yeah, and, but I think the decentralized web is going to change that. Excellent, man. Talking about F Denver a little bit. What do you see the benefit of coming to places like this to uh, talk about Zilliqa? I mean, people came from all over the world. We have 3,000 people here in this building right now talking about different developments on the blockchain or using blockchain technology. Why, why, why spend the money? 
uh, from the from, from the personal perspective, like personal perspective, I can uh, I once stood on the on the side of like uh, if when I, when I built uh, Ethereum applications, it's just that for now I think that I am thinking of moving to another another public blockchain. But I think the overall mission uh, is the same that we are all envisioning this part about this distributed and uh, decentralized uh, network. And I think that this future is going to hold and uh, it's, it's going to take place between different blockchains. Mm-hmm. I see the future as collaborative, mm-hmm. that uh, there isn't a winner-take-all market. So in a way that, all right, some applications, they might use a permission chain like Hyperledger, some might use like Ripple for payments, some might use like Stellar, or some might use Ethereum, or some might use Zeleka. So the, the thing is that I see the beauty and the merits of every blockchain. And I think that where I see the future, uh, where Zeteca see the future is that it's going to be collaborative. And we are going to work well with each other. And we have been uh, in very good connections with IF Global. We have uh, sponsored quite a few hackathons, uh, I think at least four, as I know. Mm. And I've attended three of them myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I think that one of the good things about attending this hackathon is that you, you get a very good sense about what is happening in, in the industry mm-hmm. like we see that previously people are very interested into, into scaling solutions so that was all the way back in october uh, right now i think that we see a more interest in gradually getting into like, stable coins and i've been asking around people are very excited about stable coins that's and i think that this is where uh, we see that applications developers are interested in and uh, so from, from the company perspective we want to understand these sentiments from the ground up, mm-hmm. and we want to make sure that our platform delivers the most superior experience to achieve that. So this is why we are here. Right, on, man. Yeah, as you can tell, we don't have a booth to to actually like talk about Zika, but we are really here to just sense about what is going on in the space. Yeah, man, for sure. Yeah. I, yeah. Have, I don't have a booth either. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. We're, yeah, we are cool. <laughs> we, we're we're stuck here in an office that's like it looks know, like it's abandoned. <laughs> an abandoned office, it yeah. looks like. <laughs> I wish I had a video of this place and I decided I was going to do video of all these interviews but I decided that it looks so bad I'm not going to do it. I see, I see. Yeah, we can take a picture here. Yeah, we'll take yeah, a, we'll can take take a, a selfie and put it on Twitter. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of JP Morgan coming out with their own cryptocurrency? Uh, I don't really call it a cryptocurrency. This is a stable coin. Okay. And I mean, I have mixed feelings about that because like... Do me a favor then. Yeah. Be- be- before, can you define your idea or define the difference between a stable coin and a cryptocurrency okay so let me define cryptocurrency i think it's easier cryptocurrency are, are, are utility token so you, you buy a token and your idea is that you believe in this projection so much mm-hmm. that you, you think that the utility of your token increases with uh, with time mm-hmm. and uh, so let's say that hypothetically for like Zedeka, if uh, one year later we have 10 times the users we have today mm-hmm. then the utility of the tokens will increase mm-hmm. and uh, meanwhile the supply is not uh, is because we, we have a finite supply right mm-hmm. so the utility of the existing token is going to increase over time mm-hmm. and this is where uh, prices are expected to, to go up mm-hmm. so because of this nature and this assumption we cannot expect the prices to be stagnant mm-hmm. and we must expect some kind of like a fluctuation up and down mm-hmm. uh, because this is based on the free market Zedeka does not com- control the price so many people in uh, community think that we control the price but we don't it's a free market right. and uh, basically the price of Zedeka token is based on how much people all around the world believe in Zedeka so that, that's going to be the, this uh, volatility but uh, the thing is that for some applications in the world let's talk about banking if uh, there is going to be a need for stable coin because you need the value to be packed with something. 
like you want one like today I have one dollar I can buy one bread mm-hmm. tomorrow I have one dollar I can only buy half a loaf of bread right it, it is it does not really work that way that in in life in general we need some stability right we need an anchor and I think this is where stablecoin is going to be and I see it as uh, something that's very transformative in terms of how we think about the next generation of applications on the on the blockchain for example the part about lending I think that this is an interesting idea that if I'm able to lend someone in uh, South America, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want my principal amount to be affected by the volatility so much because I have my risk appetite. So this is where I'm going to need some kind of anchor, like a stable coin, right. to facilitate this kind of P2P lending platform. So do you think the JP Morgan coin is a good idea? I think it's, uh, it's, if it's uh, from what I understand from the news is that it is a stable coin. So I, I personally it's think very, that- I know it's very hard to say that a stable coin by JP Morgan is a good idea because of the name JP Morgan, but- Yeah, I mean, because of the the, the whole, the decentra- I mean, the decentralized, like sometimes right. we really strive for decentralization. But I think that in terms of like, if you want to trust someone to do the stable coin, right? Maybe JP Morgan might be someone that you, you might be looking for. Mm-hmm. Someone with uh, like enough capital, someone with uh, enough experience in KYC, uh, someone who has actually worked in the regulators and whether you like it or not, I think that they definitely have a, have a say in it. So they, def- they definitely have some way about like swaying the politics and directions, economic strategy to, to do whatever they think that is going to be. So I really right, comment so see. much it's a about early. Yeah. I think it's a process and I'm really looking forward to see how, how it's being updated. Right. Yeah. Edison Lim, application lead of Zilliqa. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101 and, and just wrapping out. Tell us about the Zilliqa updates where can people go to find out more about Zilliqa? Yeah, you can visit us at our webpage, zilliqa.com. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of resources for developers, miners, and, uh, if, yep, and, um, and we have a very active Telegram channel, so do join us. All right, cool, man. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. All right, thank you. Henry Pikala, co-founder of Streamer, Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Sorry, wait, let me take that back. Welcome back to Crypto 101, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> no, it's, it's awesome. And I really like this Ethereum Denver. And, you know, I've seen and I'm, I've been traveling more around to different conferences and actually physically shaking hands with and meeting people that have been on the show. And if it wasn't for you coming on the show, people liking what you're doing, listening to you, I wouldn't have a show. <laughs> so thank you as well. And, and, and thank you for coming up and uh, chatting with me here in Ethereum Denver. How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. And the project as well. We are making progress. Everything's running kind of smoothly. We're on track on our roadmap and so on. So, so. so we, we left off around nine months ago. What has Streamer done since then? Yeah, so let's see, nine months ago, it was like last summer, we were maybe launching the marketplace mm-hmm. back then or, or something like that. So since then, we've been working on um, all the components in the streamer system, which include the network, the marketplace, and the, the, the web app, the, the editor. And so the big thing in some sense has been working on the next iteration of the streamer network. So far, we've been running the system with this kind of first version which has been centralized and not based on peer-to-peer networking and the next step on that roadmap is to build the first peer-to-peer network which uh, allows us to decentralize the network mm-hmm. uh, at some point so that's a huge step going from a completely different technology to a new one and that's something that we're super excited about then on the marketplace 
we are working on a huge new feature called community products, which basically allows large number of data producers to pool data into a single data product on mm -hmm. the marketplace. Uh, let's imagine, for example, that they are owners of some connected gadget like a Fitbit or a Tesla or, or you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so they can establish this collective data product on the marketplace uh, and earn a share of the proceedings for selling that product. And that is tricky to make happen because there are uh, limits to scalability. So we had to kind of build this off-chain scaling framework for this exact purpose. We dubbed it Monoplasma, and that's actually something that we launched uh, here today at ETH Denver. Um, and the third component uh, that we've been working on is the app, which will get a new look. It will be in line with our... Uh, what does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details other visuals and brand and it will just be so much better in terms of UX than than the current one so really looking forward to that as well so it sounds like you've been busy you, you mentioned you mentioned uh, scalability and throughput of the networks that you're using so you had to build a, an off-chain solution or a, or a second you know, layer it, yeah so so it's for the payments it's not for the data right so the data network is is what we're building as well but this particular thing was for scaling the payments on the marketplace mm -hmm. You know, if there's someone's buying a product and if there's five data producers like that the money gets shared with, that's okay. That's easy to do on chain if you have five. That's a small number, right? If you have a hundred, your transaction will grow so big that it will soon no longer fit into a block. So basically there's a like hard limit to how many ways you can split a payment in right. a transaction because every uh, recipient adds to the gas cost of the transaction. And in our use case, what we're imagining is to have like hundreds of thousands or even millions of data producers, like mainstream end users using some connected gadget there could be huge numbers of them contributing their data into a product. And when someone buys that product, they need to get a share. Right. Like this is how we're 
working our way towards the end vision of Streamer uh, to uh, give people back control on their data and allow them to earn money uh, with their data. But the technology doesn't really exist for that yet in terms of, you know, having that scalability in the Ethereum space. Mm -hmm. So we kind of had to invent it there. Right. And, and that's fine because hopefully it will be useful for others as well, even though we build it for ourselves. Now, of course, we're at Ethereum Denver, but is there other blockchains right now that could actually work maybe better for you, EOS, Zillica, or anything else? Or are you looking at Ethereum because you're already there and you're trying to find solutions, maybe help out the Ethereum network? So that's the first question. The second question is, what kind of throughput would you need to manage what you're trying to build? Uh, the answer to the second question, what kind of throughput, it does depend on adoption, right? right? So if we get a lot of data contributors and a lot of buyers, like any, any system that needs to do this the old-fashioned way, like individually sending tokens to each recipient, that will just destroy the system immediately because whenever someone buys a product, you would need to do a million transactions right. immediately to send any tokens to those recipients. So currently, I mean, we've designed our system so that it will work within the, the scalability limits of Ethereum. So we're not in any kind of pressure or hurry to migrate anywhere else. We love Ethereum and we've kind of been going deeper into Ethereum mm -hmm. by building this scaling solution and, and, and going into the deep end of the pool. But on the other hand, the system is planned to be kind of blockchain agnostic. It could act as a data layer over different blockchains even. So it's a little bit early to say about that. At the moment, I don't think there's any real alternative out there for us, nor are we in a pressure to migrate away because everything we do works okay with Ethereum. I guess, I guess my question stemmed from the fact that you had to build something. So if you had to build something, yeah, that means you it, already have a problem. Yeah, it would have been it would have been the same with uh, with other systems as well. Like this kind of framework where you can spray tokens efficiently around, it just doesn't exist. There are some blockchain systems where payments are quite efficient, but then again, we, they don't necessarily have the, the smart contract side mm -hmm. of things. Which, which we do require. So basically that limits our options to smart contract platforms only. Um, but I think the scalability can be had there via side chains and these off-chain channels, payment channels, all of that plays nicely together. So at the end of the day, the things that need to happen on the actual blockchain are, are quite, quite minimal. Before we go into your speech today about Monoplasma and this new uh, solution that you made, uh, can you sum up Streamer in say a brief two sentence or three sentence uh, what Streamer is and what it does or will, what will it do so that everybody who maybe didn't go back and listen to Streamer 101 that we, we made about uh, nine months ago is on mm. the same page? Yeah, so Streamer is the real-time data protocol for the decentralized web. So no, what, that's not broad. <laughs> so so what, what that means is that it's a peer-to-peer -peer network that transports data from data publishers to data subscribers. What is a data publisher? So example would be, you know, an IoT sensor or a connected car or your phone that transmits your location or maybe an application that, you know, triggers some events when a user 
uses it, these kind of messages. You could, of course, build like, uh, you know, instant messenger on top of this technology. So the data itself can be pretty much anything. We're focusing on the, kind of on the, on the machine data side of things. Mm -hmm. So it's not made for live video or anything. It's a little bit different game. You have to build the network a little bit differently if you target that kind of payloads versus more like telemetrics. Uh, and measurements and maybe you know some financial data smaller right. payloads so so that's what it does if there's uh, technical people listening they will know the pub sub pattern publish subscribe it means that data producers they publish messages to to topics and anyone who's listening to that topic or subscribing to that topic will get the message. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's basically just a, a technical tool to kind of decouple the publishers and subscribers from each other. Uh, the publishers don't need to know who's listening, just like we don't know right now who's listening. We're just, you know, broadcasting this thing to the open. And whoever wants to listen, they can listen. But in this case, I think the listeners are people, whereas on the streamer network, they are typically machines or applications that it's, listen it, to the data. And speaking of listening, I would encourage everyone that's listening to this to go back to listen to our first conversation. We followed Johnny on a day in the future using the data in streamer, and we talk about coffee makers oh, and yeah, driving no, cars. Oh, yeah, no, I remember. Yeah, yeah, that was... That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a very interesting conversation of, of talking about a little bit about futurism and how data will be flowing freely and everywhere. Let's, let's talk about your, your, your talk today, um, Monoplasma. Can you tell us a little bit about that, sir? <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it's a very specific thing that we needed for the marketplace, for, for the payment distribution. So. Um, <clears throat> So what Monoplasma is, it's, an, uh, it's a special purpose off-chain scaling solution made specifically for one-to-many payments. And when I say one-to-many payments, I mean things like revenue sharing, paying dividends for security tokens, pushing out you know, staking rewards, doing pension payments, you know, any kind of use case where you repeatedly or continuously need to fan out value to a, a set of addresses, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then the, the recipients can accumulate value over time and, and withdraw their share whenever they want by making, uh, making a transaction on chain. So the thing we needed Monoplasma for in Streamer is related to the marketplace. So I, I mentioned community products before where a large group of data providers can have this like collaborative product on the marketplace. And now the, the scalability problems come in when you know, some, someone buys that product. Someone makes a transaction to the marketplace smart contract and let's say there's 100,000 data providers contributing to that product so that money should go to to 100,000 addresses mm -hmm. and that's just simply nowhere near possible to do on chain so what what can be done is that that money goes to a smart contract and which which kind of pulls the data and and then there's a side channel that keeps track of who owns how much out of that pool mm -hmm. and that can be made in a trustless way and actually quite simple way where then when you want to withdraw you present a Merkle proof 
to the smart contract on chain and it allows you to withdraw your share so it's kind of inspired by the different plasma variants that were out there and payment channel stuff but we had some of these unique requirements for the system and we didn't really find anything existing out there that would have allowed us to to build this thing so we kind of had to roll our own solution and we from from the kind of prior art we threw out basically everything that we didn't need all the complexity we got rid of that and uh, tried to find the simplest possible mechanism that does what we want and and only that right. while <clears throat> while still maintaining the the good security properties and trustlessness and and so on and i, I think we we kind of succeeded in there and created something that's at least works for us uh, probably works for some other people as well trying to solve similar patterns mm -hmm. and is fairly unique there's something uh, out there along these directions with uh, small differences in there which might then be kind of blockers for us so mm -hmm. at least this is guaranteed to be somewhat maintained and so on so it's kind of safe for developers to build upon since we're gonna build upon it ourselves mm -hmm. right so, so that's a good thing it's not going to be abandoned anytime soon it will keep developing and so on and people we've spoken with about monoplasma have had interesting ideas and surprisingly much traction and need for this kind of thing building dApps that can easily reward their users for example it could be revenue sharing it could be community rewards all these kind of things i think they haven't really happened yet whereas they are things that would actually make dApps stand out from you know the web 2.0 and so on right so right it seems like you've been very busy for the past nine months. Yeah, that, that, that's maybe fair, <laughs> a fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's good, that's good. Uh, you are based in Switzerland, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. You flew from Switzerland to Denver. Yeah. And I, I've seen people from Argentina, I've seen people from different parts of the United States, I've seen them from Asia, Singapore uh, mostly. Why is this event so important to pay thousands of dollars to get on a plane in <laughs> hotels and what have you and fly 24 hours halfway around the world to come to Denver, Colorado. Well, the, the timing was awesome, first of all. And we haven't been here, so there's new people to meet and, and chat with, plus also familiar faces as well. So maybe the question is like, why not? We haven't been super, we're, we're based in Europe, but we haven't been like super active mm -hmm. in North America. So maybe that's it's like an area where we could probably be more active mm -hmm. and, and see what happens. Right so, and what, what benefits are you getting out, out of being here in Denver? I've heard many different, many different answers to this. And I, I, just, I just like the fact that one, blockchain, cryptocurrency brings so many people together. You know, this is basically, it's not, a monetary nobody's selling things here nobody's this is a building network there's yeah. nothing to gain besides all of us working toward the same thing if it's a, from a podcast perspective or a streamer perspective or just a, a coder or developers perspective they're all just working to build something 
and push this industry through. So what, what are you yeah. getting? I mean, from this particular event, I'm kind of excited about how they combine this hackathon or biddle-a-thon or whatever it's called Biddle, yes. uh, and with, with the, like a more traditional conference with talks and so on. So it's, it's really like a hands-on approach and people are sitting out there, you know, hacking away at their laptops and having fun. And, and that's pretty awesome to see. People are actually like collaborating. Normally when you go to a conference, you listen to the talks and then you chat in the corridors with your old and new uh, friends. But it's not like making, making stuff on site. And that's, um, that's an interesting new twist. And there could be even more about that. Not sure whether it's a perfect fit to bundle it with the conference, but at least this kind of stuff should happen more often. Mm -hmm. Why is it important to come to these conferences? So the Ethereum network has a lot of conferences and they're kind of on a rolling basis. And if you kind of look in from the outside, you kind of wonder, look, is anyone doing actually, is anyone doing any work, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> everyone's constantly communicating and sitting in talks and then tweeting stuff out. And the answer is uh, sort of, it, it, the space is continually moving and developing. It's so fast moving that you've got to A, keep on top of stuff. And B, because you know, this isn't, you know, the Ethereum network isn't just in one place. It isn't just in Europe. It isn't just in North America. It's actually spread around the world. You really do have to kind of keep up with everyone and what they're doing and you have to constantly connect. So these, these events are really, really important. And um, I can remember last year looking at what was coming uh, on Twitter and um, social media just generally uh, and just feeling almost the energy. It was so like palpable from this event particularly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was such a particular kind of moment wow. where everyone was kind of totally overjoyed at the fact they could like hack and do the conference and it was this first time in Denver uh, and Denver itself is an incredibly young city I mean, sort of like one of the biggest sort of millennial cities in, in the US. Mm -hmm. so, so you guys came over here, what are you guys doing in the space right now? I mean, not, not in the space, but in Denver. What's your purpose, your goal? How are you going to capitalize as much as you can for the expense of coming out here. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's kind of expensive, but it's not that expensive in it's, the end. It's a little expensive. Yeah. Four, four guys, four plane rides, four hotel rooms, food for four days. It's, it's not cheap. No, no, it's not super cheap. That is certainly true. Uh, and on top of that, we're kind of sponsoring. So, um, oh, okay, you're sponsoring uh, as well, yes. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing, uh, we launched Monoplasma, so it's kind of worth doing that. And uh, I'm on a panel, Henry's on a panel. Uh, and then we've got about five, six, seven, eight meetings with people, mm -hmm. uh, largely people who are in based in North America that we wouldn't otherwise be able to catch right. up with. So we'd have to make special trips. So we're meeting with the guys from Masari, for example. Oh, right, okay. We've yeah. just listed on Masari. And uh, so it's good to actually then just like connect in person. You know, it's, again, it's an ecosystem based on like not trusting people right. uh, and uh, <laughs> not trusting like centralized companies. Uh, but actually, you still need to meet the people behind all of this right. stuff. And it, and it really helps us to have like a nice, long face-to-face -face discussion mm -hmm. uh, about synergies. So we're meeting those guys, we're meeting the colony guys, um, and they're absolutely fascinating. And there's a whole lot of other people that we're meeting uh, with as well. It was really wonderful to meet the MakerDAO uh, people mm -hmm. like face-to-face. -face. And it also helps spark uh, new ideas, right, for what we're doing. Head of communications for a, a crypto company, I'm gonna assume that this is not your first comms job. 
Uh, technically, it is. I come from a journalistic background, so I was an investigative journalist for the Guardian, specialising in, oh, in yeah, in terrorism and economics, which sometimes merge into one thing. Huh. So I used to investigate ISIS uh, for the Guardian, and then I, um, the economic side was I did a lot of intergenerational work and looking at kind of like you know again the lives of millennials and how mm-hmm. something was going horribly wrong, and I kind of fell into uh, the whole crypto space because I was looking at new economic models and. And here was Ethereum coming up with, or people in the Ethereum space, should say, coming up with kind of this notion of a, like a digital cooperative, right? Because unless you can sort of transform where all the wealth is going, i.e., at the moment it's you know the big fang companies, then you're not really going to be able to change uh, uh, economics at large. That's super interesting. Okay, so I wasn't expecting that. I was getting my <laughs> my question follow up was to be like, yeah, you know, I've been coming for a while, and I'd be like, oh yeah, what is it like to switch from like traditional to you know blockchain? Now I'm going to have to just go totally different and ask you about journalism, ISIS, terrorism, vis-a-vis Bitcoin and blockchain. What you always hear is KYC AML. It's funding terrorism, it's ISIS, Bitcoin, all these different things. I don't know if this is a naive question, but is it even even a thing? You know, there's a lot of fear around new things. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, the blockchain is inspired and Bitcoin has inspired a lot of fear. I remember mm. running a few of those Story. I didn't write them myself, but my colleague on the investigations desk did about, you know, the kind of Silk Road stuff and all that black market stuff. And, and yeah, and Bitcoin got a really bad name through mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and in a sense, um, what's been so interesting is the Ethereum network uh, or ecosystem isn't built with those same kind of people. Um, no, I think we, we just had like a little minor earthquake or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Was that an earthquake? I don't know. Yeah. Was it? <laughs> Well, if it is, it's still going on. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, just as I got to the Ethereum network, is, a, is um, uh, yeah. Look, in a sense, the being a journalist was, for me, was this. It's mm-hmm. a, li- a license to ask questions. Right. So I get to ask these sort of fascinating questions about terrorism, but also about economics. And then I found myself like asking these questions about, you know, Ethereum and what was going on here and how to rebuild a kind of digital economy. Uh, and that's what, in the end, led me to Streamer as well. Just like the thought that actually, you know, people could, uh, how do you actually get people to own their data? Mm-hmm. Actually really, uh, or sell their data? It's like a really hard, difficult enterprise and no one's really cracked it yet. From a journalism point of view, I, I think that the crypto space always sees mainstream journalism as two sides of the same coin. Either they're publishing an article that says Bitcoin is the next cryptocurrency, $20,000 Bitcoin, or the same day, $16,000 Bitcoin, everything, everything's crashing, people are going, losing all their money, and it's a failed project and what have you. Do you think that the journalists, and I think you would know this, but do journalists really care, or are they just trying to find the next big story or with the next big headline? So from the kind of if the MSM, like the mainstream media perspective, do they care about crypto? No, they don't, right? So they're, they're, it is an interesting story because, you know, of, of the things that you've just identified. So they take the extremes and that becomes news and that breaks through, right? right. Um, what's been really interesting is crypto-specific media, like yourself um, and uh, uh, who, you know, whose job it is in Breaker Magazine, for example, has been really interesting, Coindesk, like actually like digging in and trying to serve their space with the news that they think is interesting. And they've been doing a really great job and they've kind of, you know, you saw that kind of massive boom, right, through 2017 of like just the proliferation of news networks, like spewing a lot of junk and hype. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's all died down. You're left with actually a lot of, um, 
interesting institutions mm -hmm. uh, from, from a media perspective. And so, you know, you'll always have the industry specific stuff and the wider stuff. Should the crypto people actually be looking at the mainstream media as a resource for crypto news? Or should they strictly look at podcasts, YouTubers, Coindesk or uh, Breaker and these other industry specific ones as to the place that they should get their news? Uh, I mean, it's always going to depend on what you have to say, right? right. So um, for from a perspective of streamer, for example, like a lot of our technical stuff, no, that isn't meant for like the Wall Street Journal or The Guardian or whatever. But when it comes to something like crowd selling, yeah, that's meant for end users to mm -hmm. get involved in. And so, yeah, I think people would be involved. There's a huge mainstream media conversation around data. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so in that sense, we you know, we should. And, and the Ethereum space does have, sometimes I feel like this kind of uh, introverted okay, well, like, screw the rest of the world, we'll do it on our own, right? That's the kind of inherent nature of being a libertarian, right. uh, almost. But it, that would be a, a mistake, right? Do you think that mainstream media is giving Bitcoin, blockchain, and the new, this emerging technology a fair shake? I think we've gone through the hype cycle, right? So we're kind of now at the other end, where if you write blockchain in a press release, you will be deliberately ignored. Whereas, you know, <laughs> two years ago, it was like, great, we'll run it if it's just you know, whatever it is. So once it's embedded in people's minds, like I remember this moment, like at my Christmas table and my mother-in-law, who's like 60 something, uh, and a 19 year old were discussing, arguing, debating and fighting over Bitcoin at my table. And I wasn't even there. I'm mm. like, hi, I'm the guy like involved in all this <laughs> stuff. And like, you know, as a professor and like a teenager arguing about Bitcoin. And I was like, this is brilliant. Like people get it, they understand it. So you can always come back to those conversations when you start to deliver something interesting, right? People know about it for good or for bad. That's great. And now we have to deliver stuff that's interesting. And, and that really helps adoption. And when you went, went over to that dinner table, whose side did you take? Oh, I tried to stay out of it. And it, it, I was sort of insulted that they hadn't asked me anything. Uh, <laughs> and they just, just like, I'll just carve the turkey. Stay in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to keep beating this horse to death about the journalism, but that was very interesting. Uh, Shiv Malik, thank you very much for uh, coming on Crypto 101 and sharing not only the strategy of streamer to us, but also a little bit about the journalism past that you had and that's very interesting sir thank you very much real pleasure thanks a lot thank you very much for listening to this episode of crypto 101 in our next episode we have on zcoin and iotex 101s on both of those projects i can't wait to release those for you and they're going to come out a little bit sooner than usual in about two days so look forward to those don't forget to go to Crypto101Podcast.com, enter your email to get notified when our new book is released so we can ship you a copy. And while you're there, follow us on Twitter at Crypto underscore underscore 101 and hop into our Facebook community. And we'll see you in the next episode of Crypto 101. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.